welcome to another episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. I am so happy to have longtime friend Clinton Habe here. Hey, Clinton, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, and thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I pre-obligated you to come on this show because a couple podcast episodes ago, I was talking about you in real time and decided you would be on the podcast, and so you had no choice. Most of my life is pre-obligated. My life is not my own, so right. that's a whole other podcast. We'll we'll start putting a stack of extra podcasts we need to do. But the the context in which I mentioned you was it was the podcast episode I did about death cleaning, and I was talking about how we focus so much on material objects and how they transfer from generation to generation. And when people think of a will, they think you know who's going to get the money and the things, right? And what you've really tapped into is something I was reading about, which is some the concept of the ethical will. So how do you pass on things that are not tangible, like a family tradition, a family story, values or ethics or, or whatever that might be? And what does that look like? And that was when you popped into my head when I was talking about it, because if I had to think of one person I knew of that was a master of drawing those very valuable things out of somebody, specifically later in life, which is kind of where your focus is for, for a lot of your clients that you work with and, and capturing them to literally have other people inherit that information. Like you've done this masterfully and you've been doing it for a really long time. So yeah, you're welcome for me introducing you for you, but now you would like to talk about how you came into this and, and what you do. Yeah, no, i I started storykeeping on Cinco de Mayo 2009, and essentially, I, I grew up the son of an entrepreneur. My father and mother have Habe's Automotive, and so I grew up working in that shop and just witnessing, you know, kind of the American dream of, you know, just going out and doing it on your own, and you know, my dad always told me, eventually you're going to want to do your own thing. And so it was always in the back of my mind of, Hey, I'm what, what is it? You know, what am I supposed to be doing on this planet? Everybody has to answer that for themselves at some point, but you know, it was, it was like a combination of a lot of things happening at once. Number one, the company that I was working for at the start of 2009 they ended up getting rid of all of their regional people. And I was a part of that layoff. If, if you recall, the economy in 2009 was not great. And right. so, so yeah, I was a part of that. And also, you know, I grew up idolizing my grandparents' stories and my grandfather, I'm, I'm, I'm about to, I'm about to be very Texan. My grandfather used to run an ad in the local paper and people that were deer hunting back then, they had open sites. And so, and sometimes, you know, they'd be sipping on something while they're out there in the woods hunting and they weren't always super accurate with their shots. And so my grandfather had a bunch of dogs and people would call the ranch and he would go out oftentimes at night to help to track down these people's deer and so 
oftentimes he's running in the middle of the night across Medina County, just following the sound of dogs barking in the distance. And when you're a little kid and you're listening to stories like that, your imagination runs wild and, you know, you kind of idolize your, your grandparents in the first place, but then just to understand what a completely different world they lived in compared to the one that I live in and their stories is, was like the vehicle that transported me into that time and into his life me trying to retell his stories were just like a complete train wreck and completely boring and a complete disservice to his life experience. And I recognized that. And so I set out to record my grandparents myself because I wanted it for me. And once I did that, I understood, you know, I'm not the only grandkid that loves her grandparents. Let me figure out how to turn this into a service and make it sustainable. And so those kinds of thoughts were swimming through my head around the same time that I was that I was laid off from this company and it was like the clouds parted and the sun was shining down upon my face. And it was, it was like, yes, Clinton, now is the time you must go and do story keeping. And so it was actually two days before Cinco de Mayo when I was going to go down to the Bear County courthouse and register the business name. But when I saw Cinco de Mayo was just a couple of days away and millions of people could be celebrating the birth of story keeping with me, not like they're, they're like pre-obligated, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a thing. I knew, I knew that it was, I was in no rush. Like I, I went down and started it, but that was, that was the impetus of it all. <laughs> what a, what a cool, amazing, inspiring story. I mean, you didn't, it, it, it meant something to you. And you know, when, when that comes from, when it comes from that place, it makes it easier to accomplish and go through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and, and God knows there are those too, right? And that's kind of a sustaining conviction that you have that there are stories that need to be told and need to be kept. So I, I think that's fascinating. So what's your your kind of general, who comes to you and what do they say? What are they trying to accomplish when they come talk to you? I think oftentimes when people, well, I, w- I would say more often than not, it's a word of mouth thing. You know, I, I did a production for another family member or one of their friends and, and that's the most productive means of people finding out about me and contacting me. But I think your question is actually, uh, or I guess the intent of the question is a little bit different. It's like, what are these people thinking about? Right. And I think oftentimes it's a life event, you know, sadly, you know, every once in a while, it's because of health issues or, or, or some sort of mental trigger that, you know, this person that I love and that I care about may not be around forever. And, and it's, it's kind of a goofy, it's kind of a goofy thing to think about because none of us live forever, right? Like it's inevitable. This is a fact for all of us. But I guess it's just the way that the human brain works. Like we don't think about it until it, it just whacks us in the face. And I think, I think that, that oftentimes like something whack that person in the face or they heard about me and my service and they want to be proactive. But I think more often than not for the people that just come out of nowhere, 
it's it's some sort of event where hey guess what we still have this person and we understand there's this window of time and it's not going to be open forever so and and that's what causes people to proactively seek me out fascinating and so your um main focus of interviewing i know you've interviewed people from all walks of life and all different ages but in general you tend to be doing almost like a generational interview right so for like the the oldest living generation in that family is that kind of how that works those i i think it's kind of it, it's that window being open thing again right where which, which is funny to say because i think one of one of the reasons that i felt like story keeping was important was during my soul searching of what am I going to be good at and what I want to spend the rest of my life doing what's worth my life, right? Like what's worth my life effort. You know, I got into a head on with a drunk driver in, in 2004. And so during that event, I thought I was going to die. Right. And so the idea of, of only capturing the legacy of people who are in that eldest generation is a little bit goofy but I think it's, it's like an order of operations thing for people. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. I mean, they represent increasing scarcity at, at those ages, right. Of like, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what, so the reason I was so interested in speaking with you is you've been not a healthcare professional, not a clergy person, but a professional that's in close proximity to that same dynamic. And it must be really interesting because you're such a unique aspect of it because usually you see this play out in a hospital room or you know through something else and so you've kind of got this viewpoint where you're a third party popping into this family dynamic and this family history and I I'd like to ask you if you could come up with like two or three like lessons you've learned in that transfer of of story keeping or that ethical will like what have you taken away from your now you've been doing this, gosh, almost 15 years. Congratulations. Of uh, like what 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 sits with you? What sits kind of deep in your in your belly about this? Well, one thing that I learned really early on in story keeping was when I was doing some work for, I believe it was a cancer therapy research center here in San Antonio. The director pulled me aside and she told me, you know what you're doing. I was like, well, story keeping, I made it up, you know, I'm the only person on the planet doing this. And she told me, no, what you're doing is dignity therapy, which I don't know if you've ever heard of dignity therapy before. No, tell me about it. Okay. So it actually is, it's this medical <laughs> process where, where a doctor will guide the patient through their early memories and through their life. And, and the byproduct of that is this increased sense of purpose because they're reflecting on everything that they've accomplished and all of their value and all of their worth in a way that you don't typically do in a day. And it gets the brain going and, and connecting and remembering all these things that are worth living for. And so the patient ends up being more committed to getting better than they ever were before because of that mental switch that happens as a result of going through your life story. 
And I had no idea <laughs> that, that there was anything like that. What was his name? Dr. Harvey Chochinoff or something like that. And I, I probably butchered how to pronounce his last name, but Google dignity therapy. And it's a, it's a legit therapy and it's very similar to what I do, though, not identical. And kind of like what you were talking about, you know, I'm not a medical professional. Right. And so I'm, I don't roll around saying, Hey, I do dignity therapy. I'm certified. I'm not certified. I'm, you know, I'm doing story keeping. But that was one thing that I learned early on was that as, as much as, as much as I'm over here recording people's stories and just encouraging them to speak from the heart and be themselves and to capture that character and everything, there are these tangential benefits that I could have never imagined in the first place, but it's been really cool to learn that. Can I, uh, can I, can I deep yeah. dive that a little bit? Yeah, so what, I, what I think is really interesting about you saying that what it makes me think of is if we're thinking of somebody like my grandmother, who's about to turn 90, she has witnessed so much change in her life since the 1930s that I can imagine she can feel, I'm going to make up a word. I don't think this is a word, but the word is that I'm thinking of is like decontextualized. Yes. Meaning her life experience doesn't have any way of fitting into what my children who live with her, right. Have experienced. And that makes a gap in their language. Right. So they don't know what a telephone is. Yes. Uh, they don't know what hard work is. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, maybe, but, but I say that like, like the connection that we have with somebody else has a lot to do with a shared belief, a shared language, a shared experience. And while we build a lot of shared experiences here together, I can see the marginalization of people, especially as they age, when their stories, when they lose context for a newer generation can easily lose meaning and value because we don't even know how to process some of the things that they went through, even if we did history or what, you know, took history courses or, or listened to it. And that's why I think um, it's unique that, that, that perspective you have, because it might take somebody to pull that out and to give them a space to say, okay, just, just say it like it is. I'll edit it later. <laughs> like, you know, spill it all out and kind of repackage it in almost, I don't want to say an entertaining way, but in a way that is relatable and, something that is in a medium that people are used to consuming, which is digestible. Right. Digestible right. is, is the word that, that I've come up with that seems to resonate with people, but it has to be digestible or people just aren't going to consume it in the first place. Okay. So I have two things for you. You, you spurred two different directions that I want to go and, okay. and I'm going to tease intergenerational self. So Ooh. Mentally bookmark that because I'm going to come okay. back to it. But I'm um, I'm relying. This is like what my dad used to do to me. He's like, "Remember this, son," and like he goes off and like now it's my problem. Right. Um, okay. So one thing, one thing that that I did, and this is this predates story keeping. So this isn't something that I learned by doing story keeping, but it it is so core to what I do. It, it's super important. So everybody has their own narrative about themselves. They have their own standards that they hold themselves to. 
and that they weigh their decision making against. And we all have different hats that we wear in different crowds or with different people. And I made a conscious decision when I was becoming an adult to change gears in the way that I engaged with and communicated with the adults in my family and in the people that I love, because, you know, my dad will always be my dad. Mom will always be mom. My grandparents will always be my grandparents, but, but I understood that they were more than that. And that, and that I wanted to connect with them beyond, you know, me being the little kid. Right. And so I, my mom, I I have to, I have to say this. I got the approach from my mom when I was growing up. My mom always told me, don't have just one best friend, treat everybody like your best friend. Right. So wait, David and I aren't your best friends. No, y'all totally are. Okay. Okay. Okay, Go ahead. (laughs) Whoever's watching this, you are also my best friend. Okay. Okay. Just checking. But no, like it's, it's, it's a super, it's a super important, it's a super important takeaway for me from, from growing up because yeah, you know what? Friends do come and go. And, and if you treat everybody like you love them, you know, you end up getting what you give and, and yeah, it just, it opens it opens a lot of doors communication wise and relationship wise and just in in so many different ways. So what does that mean in real life? As far as like, how did you, if you're entering their home, what did you say differently? The kind of new and improved approach, what does that look like in, in on the ground? Right. So for my grandparents, for example, you know, like you were talking about your kids living in the same home and there, there is this contextual disconnect. I understood that my grandpa was once my age, right? And I understood that my grandma was once my age. And so I basically opened up to them about things that were going on in my life that, you know, maybe things that you don't typically talk to your parents or your grandparents about, right? And I expressed interest in that era of their lives. And, you know, what was your experience? And, and I think that, I think it's important that we humanize people in other generations because it's super easy to, to remain disconnected, but it's so fruitful on both ends when, when that line is open, because I learn from them. And then they also, like you're talking about being decontextualized, how, how sad must that feeling be? Right. But these people are walking around with so much life experience and wisdom and in humanity that's untapped if we're not if we're not tapping into it, right? So I did that in my own family, and that's that's something that I do with every legacy film storyteller that that I engage with. I'm approaching them as if they were my best friend, and we build rapport crazy fast, and and they open up to me super fast. Because you get what you give, right? Thank you for sharing that about your grandparents. I think we have a very similar experience as I'm very close with my grandmother. And just the other day, my my daughter was studying the civil rights movement and she was asking me all these questions. I was like, 
contrast a lady who was alive during the civil rights movement, you know, and just go ask her these questions. And we've had so many interesting conversations, even about World War II. I mean, to think that I could go ask somebody questions about World War II. And she mentioned to my kids, she said it was so scary that her parents would listen to updates on the radio about it. And she said, I, I dealt with that. I would go in my room and put the pillow over my head because I didn't want to hear what was happening. And I think, she, you know, she was like seven or eight years old. And, and so, and that's the same age my twins were when we were having this discussion. And so you can kind of think that is that relating that that person has also been seven. That person has always also been 16. That's really beautiful. How, can we step back to the intergenerational self and what that concept is? Yes. So the intergenerational self is something that, you know, that's knowledge and a concept that I was not born with. It's something I've learned since doing storykeeping. But the idea is that when, when a child understands their family's story, they're, they're more confident and they're more resilient and they end up basically being more successful in the things that they take on. And the reason for that is because they recognize that, you know, they are larger than just themselves. They're tied into something bigger because we're, you know, we get our values from, you know, our parents, grandparents, our great grandparents, if we were fortunate enough to, to learn from them. And, you know, we don't always just completely adopt those values, but they're, they're anchor points that we can choose to to swing toward or away from. And if you understand, you know, how you came to be here in San Antonio, Texas in the first place, you know, for example, my last name is Haby. And I understand that it was 1843, the Haby branch of my ancestry settled west of San Antonio. And they were some of the founding families there. And so like, Anytime that I drive through there, it feels very well grounded. And I understand that we have a legacy, right? And and we have a name and something to uphold beyond just my personal standard for myself. And so that's effectively what the intergenerational self is. It's this identity that the individuals can carry where it's not just them. You know, we we have a higher standard to live up to. And if my father, you know, if my father was incredible at baseball or something like that, I have the same genetics as him. Maybe that's possible for me. You know, it's like seeing something and then it being possible. It's like that, but it's so much more powerful because it's your own family. And if you don't understand any of that, or if you never, if you never kind of capture that, then it's a real lost opportunity, I think. But that was something that, you know, like I said, I wasn't born with that knowledge. But when I learned about it, I was like, oh, my God, you know, like it's the legacy film work that I do is so much more valuable than I initially thought it was. And that I mean, my my work is rewarding anyway, right? Like I love I love just sitting here and talking to people. Right. And I love listening to people because I learn. But to understand the, that the byproduct is is beyond what I initially imagined is super rewarding too. That that makes me think of 
you were talking about things that can kind of be lost in translation or one you're st we're standing at a very interesting point in human development and technology mm -hmm. where the ways in which that generation communicates stories is by talking and writing and our younger generations receive stories through neither of those and you know texting and and video formats and so i just think of of how they learned all the stories they learned for that intergenerational self was an oral tradition or even a written tradition and that we don't we, we haven't preserved those traditions and my grandmother isn't going to text my eight-year-old her experience of the civil war and so if i don't teach the eight-year-old to go and ask her i mean the civil war oh my god she's not that old i'm sorry i wasn't i wasn't gonna call you you, were gonna, you, you should have Okay, sorry. If we, she is not going to communicate any of her life experience these last 90 years or so by texting my children or by doing a YouTube short in which they'd be like, oh, look, Nana's on a YouTube short. And they would like know so much more about Nana. And so I almost think that you're hacking the system because you're, you're at the, the intersection of a change in actual, like literal human communication has changed in the last 10 years. And, and so as we're growing up, we part of that, the expediency of having texting and Facebook Messenger and, and social media as a way that we think we're communicating, then we have left out largely an entire generation. And I, and I say this because somebody was advising me about social media once and they said, oh, people are really into old people. And I was like, what, what is that? Wait. What does that mean? And like, they're so rare. Like if you could get your grandmother to do a funny dance or something, right? you know, I think that would be a viral video. And I'm like, well, that that's not going to happen. But, but it's almost now they're like this <laughs> anomaly, you know what I'm saying? And, and There's part a of that, void, right? Do what? There's a void. It is, it's a void. And then it, when, when they, when, you know, people that are older show up on, on social media there, it's, it's, it's unusual. And so anyway, I say this because I think it's interesting that you're kind of at that transition point that I think we all went through the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, I got an iPhone and I think maybe 2010, something like that. And so we're still like figuring out what this means. Like, yes. does this iPhone mean I'm not going to learn as much from my mom or dad as I would have had if we not had this as the intermediary, if I had to actually drive over there and ask them questions you know, what does that look like? So I just think that that's cool. And, and we may not, might not, might not be something we appreciate until we look backwards on it. You know what I'm saying? The value of, of what I do, it's, it's like, it, it's here. And then when the person is gone, it's like, it's like, baseball like card. Yeah. It, absolutely. Like it, you're, they're not making any more of those rookie cards, you know? Yeah. No, it's, I think that people do the best they can with what they have while they're there. Right. And the story keeping legacy film business could not have existed. It, it just, the technology wasn't there. The, the need maybe wasn't there as much. I mean, when, <laughs> you know, like ancestry.com, they have the, they have like a week or two of like a trial membership. Right. I did that. 
and I basically got nothing done for that week. I just went hard and, and just like built the hell out of my family tree. And I remember I, I did find one picture of one of my ancestors that I had never seen before. And I was like, holy cow, this is incredible. And then I got to thinking how incredible would it have been if I had clicked and there was a story keeping production and this like three hours of stories of them talking about their life experience in the 1800s and how incredible that would have been. But no, like it wasn't possible. Nobody did that because it wasn't possible, but it's possible now. And and so, yeah, I mean, we're we're doing the best we can with what we have now. But there was no, you know, like when I started story keeping in 2009, I scoured the Internet for anything similar and I wasn't finding anything. As it turns out, there were other people that were doing work similar to me. Very few. Um, still today, nobody does it exactly the way that I do it. But, you know, there was no template. And there was no, there, there was no guide or anything to follow. And so starting out, it was, it was tough for many years. <laughs> I have it figured out now, like I'm doing well now, but starting out, it was brutal, but it was necessary because, you know, I had to, I had to figure it out. It's almost like people have to rent your curiosity. It's like, we don't know how to be curious about other people. It's like hard. I'm serious. <laughs> like you have to rent somebody else's like sincere, authentic curiosity and be like, go talk to that person. They're important to me. And they probably have important things to say. And <laughs> I haven't heard that before. <laughs> okay. Well, we don't, <laughs> we, we, you don't have to keep that as a, as a service line. I just thought you could, that that would be anywho. Okay. So you have oh, been. I love it though. In proximity. Um, I have to tell you that that's so true though, because that that's part of that's part of what makes it work. Right? Because I'm not the only guy with a video camera out there. There are other people out there that have nice equipment and nice cameras and lighting and audio gear. You know, like there's there are courses out there for filmmakers, and it's like don't don't be a tripod, right? Like have some perspective and, and put your put your put your print on it. Right. But what, what's different from, from that coaching and that teaching and what I do is I'm not putting my print on it. I want, I want the storyteller's print on it. Right. And so I try to, I try, I try to create this, this space where the people understand that no rent a curious guy. I legitimately love learning like what's important to people and and their life journey and how they got there i love learning right. stuff so I, we're not gonna have we can't let that go without going a little bit further on that so you've had the opportunity to spend hundreds or maybe thousands of hours with people reflecting on their life so what is important to them what ends up being important when they reflect on their life what okay so like you said, I I've done, I've done a lot of interviews, been a lot of people and a lot of lessons to be learned. And what popped into my head when you said that was, was this one gentleman that I filmed, this was many years ago, but it was at the conclusion of the interview. He said, you know, this has been one heck of a compliment. 
<laughs> and, you know, it, it sticks out because I think ultimately, you know, people want to feel like they've mattered and that people still love them today. Right. Like we, we work so hard for so long on so many things and we're always focused on what's right underneath our nose. And there's so many times that we just don't reflect. And so I think when people have the opportunity to take a step back and like take stock of their lives and everything that they've done, the the fact that somebody like they meant enough to somebody else that it was worth recording, I think is a huge compliment to that person. But you know, legacy films aside and story keeping aside, I think that that's what we all want, right? Like we all want to to be validated by the people that we love and the people that we've invested in because it hurts really bad when we're not, you know? Oh, so th this podcast is much deeper than I had originally planned it to be. So this is awesome. And, and I love thinking about this as far as, as being validated. I also think of it almost in a vain way of if all the mistakes I make in my life and I get to sit down when I'm 80 and have a couple hours to recall the highlight reel. I mean, it's almost like what a, what a blessing to be able to, to, to have my better self compiled in a way that is the best version of what I had hoped to be to other people. And I think of this because I have this unique situation where we have a family member who had a really rough way of interacting with people before I knew them. And then I came to know them later in life and they were very kind to me and interesting and loving. And when I talked to people who knew them prior to this period of their life, they were like that they have a very painful experience and how people can be, you had mentioned this earlier, but different versions of themselves at different points in life. And who wants to be remembered as the worst version you've ever been at the worst point of your life, the worst decisions you made, the most hurt that you've caused, like you don't necessarily intend to have that be the way, the impact that you've had. And if you can't repair that in real time, then when you talk about a legacy, you know, your chance to repair that at least in, in the compilation of the totality. And so I think that reflection period, and it doesn't need to be at age 80, this could be at age 20 and 40 and 60. And a lot of what I talk about in the podcast sounds like I'm talking about aging parents. I'm always talking about myself, whether you believe it or not. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm 41, but I am in that period of life where it's very reflective. I'm like at the halfway point. And I think to myself, you know, I don't want to get to 80 and then try to smooth things over. I should just be a better person now. But anyway, so it just makes me think that that's also an opportunity because we are every, you know, all these versions of ourselves at one time, right? We are the, the cumulative impact we've had on other people throughout our lifetime. And, and, and nobody gets through this with perfect impact. I mean, and it, okay, if I had to pick one person in my life who probably could, it would be you and I'm talking to you right now. But like, even you, Clinton, I'm sure there's Wait, been- Wait, me? I thought you were like praying to someone. No, no, no. Better. Okay, there will be some people listening to this that know you, but but Clinton is 
is the all around great guy. He even had a fish camp named after him at A&M. So, oh my God. Uh, yeah. So I, I say that because David and I hold you in high esteem in that regard. And, and so I, but I, in I can imagine like, I'm like, even Clinton Habe could get to the end of his life and be like, there's probably some moments I regret, probably some things I would do over. And, sure. um, and so, and I think everybody does, that's what the second chance is. That's what, that's what, that's the complexity of life. And, and, you know, I never want to think of somebody at the worst moment that they had with me and, and yeah. that negates all of the best moments too. And, and, and there isn't a perfect math to this, but I just wonder about that reflection period and giving somebody the opportunity to reflect and maybe, maybe rewrite it even in context, like, yeah, I made this mistake, but you know, here's all the 50 things that happened before that, that yes. You know, for me to understand it, not not to not take responsibility for it, but for me, even for myself to create a context of, of of where that came from. Anyway, so I'm not going anywhere with this thought. I just want to put that out there. No, I mean, you, you just you planted about a thousand seeds in my brain that are all sprouting at the same time. But but what I will say is that. The, it is it is a compilation in totality, and I think that there is a tendency for people to only want to focus on the positive. And guess what? I'm talking about myself. You know, my first tagline for storykeeping was highlights of a lifetime, but there were two things that were wrong with that. Number one, life is not all highlights, and number two, lifetime implies that like, hey, we're doing this recording and it's covering an entire lifetime. That's impossible to do it one thing that i did learn is that you do have to you do have to include the challenges and, and the trials and some of the dark times you don't have to like, dwell on it but the high points need the context of the low point so that they actually matter in the story right because if I'm over here and I'm only talking about all the wonderful things in my life and everything that I've ever done, people aren't going to believe it because it's just not believable because it's not real. And ultimately, if people are going to gain value from these legacy films, they need to be real and they need to be believable. They need to be true. Right. So as much as people are super hesitant to talk about things that have just been bad. I encourage them to share to the point that they're comfortable sharing, right? Because if I'm able to take that and compare it against where they are now or compare that against what they've achieved, then it is so much more impressive to go that distance than to go, hey, my childhood was amazing. And then I was amazing again. And I was amazing again. And okay, well, you're taking little amazing baby steps all the way and nothing was ever hard for you. Way to go guy. You know, like that, that's not impressive. Not everybody has a redemption story. Right. And, and like, okay, I'm an Aggie. I watched the, the Netflix untold Johnny Manziel show. And so many people were livid about the ending because it was not a happy ending. Okay. Spoiler alert. Right. Well, we that part, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's his story is not over right like god knows what johnny manzel will do next but in the meantime no like he's still working things out and, and i think that people are so used to being like entertained by fictional stories or stories where 
it is the end that they don't have a taste for what's real. And, and I think that that that's kind of a shame because if, if all we're ever fed is perfect stories, then how are we ever going to feel good about ourselves? Cause you know, we're comparing ourselves against whatever it is that we're consuming. So it's, it's super important for me and the legacy films that I produce that I do capture the totality and it is a compilation and the storyteller is in charge of their own narrative. And so they can feed me whatever they want and I'm not fact checking them. Right. But you did rent a curious person. And if I pick up on something, I'm going to ask for more, right? Because whatever it is that I'm perceiving, their family members or friends or whoever watches it in the future, future generations, when they're watching it, they're going to be seeing and hearing the same thing that I am. And if there's a gap there that needs to be filled, that's my job. You know, that that's why you don't just rent a camera and press record. I'm a living human soul who cares about the person in front of me. I want to know why. <laughs> and so... I I kind of I I do my best to get to the bottom of it because I think that the people that are paying me, the people that sponsor the legacy film, they deserve it. And also the person that I'm filming deserves it because you know, when you're in the zone, sometimes you leave out things that you wish you would have said. And and I don't want that ship to sail, right? Like I want to be thorough. So like you said, it's a compilation, it's a totality. We're not perfect. I'm going to ask you a question. You mentioned that what the person gets out of telling their story and that is some validation or some, I, I, I don't remember the word you use, but I'm wondering when they're, when you pose to them, what do they want to impart to the people that come behind them as a lesson or a value, which I think it's just such a cool moment to be in because if we leave, that's all we can leave, you know, I mean, we can, you can leave money or a car, but like, that's unique and special. It's that you're leaving an ethos or you're leaving the story or the the ethical will. So when, when, when you ask them about, you know, what do you want them to know? What do you, not necessarily about themselves. I mean, about life, like sort of principles of life. Like, what do you hear the most? It's oftentimes spiritual, you know, because when, you know, I don't lead with those questions, I, I save the philosophical questions for the end. And so they have just been articulating earliest memories up through present day. Typically, you know, what they're talking about with their present day is, you know, like their kids and grandkids and, oh my God, my family has grown so much and I could have never imagined the impact that I've had on this planet. And so they're their mind is in a different place than it would be if you just walked up to them on the street randomly. Sure. And so sure. they are pulling deep from within and, and oftentimes it, it is, it's, it's values and being a good person and being connected, you know, to a higher power and understanding that, you know, your life is beyond you bringing it back to the intergenerational self. I don't coach people before I interview them, but I think that by the time, by the time we're in that section of filming, they get it. They're like, Oh, I see what's happening here. And this is my opportunity to, to really voice what's important to me. 
and so no i mean it's it's different it's different for everyone but i would say that the main theme is it's it's spiritual and if the person if the person isn't super religious then it gets back to just values of of being a good person because that's what they want for their for the future generations you know nobody wants nobody wants their their kids and grandkids to be the worst version of them you know the american dream is supposed to be leaving it better for the next like you always want the next generation to do better than you and so that i don't know if that's a a great answer or not but that's true like that that's what i get every time thanks for sharing that i'm going to ask you some hardball questions now okay Uh, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to hear in these stories? Have, have any of them just made you tear up or made you have to stop for a minute? I, <laughs> it is not rare for me to, to cry along with the storyteller. Okay. Uh, I, I think part of what makes me really good at this is that I do have fairly strong empathy. And so, you know, I've, I've been exercising my entire life to to put myself in other people's shoes and understand why they think and feel what they do. It's, it's part of the being a best friend to everybody is you, you can't love somebody if you don't understand them and respect them. So, yeah, I mean, I've heard some really rough stuff through the years. You know, there was there's one woman in particular and this was probably four years ago now. She passed away a couple of years ago. She had Parkinson's. And so her family was super concerned about me even being able to pick up her voice because it was so soft. And I was like, don't worry, y'all. Like I have, I use the same microphone in my productions that they use in Hollywood movies to pick up dialogue. My picking up her voice will not be an issue. Okay. She was soft-spoken. I I did have to edit and post obviously, but she had lost her son when her son was in college. It was carbon monoxide poisoning in the middle of the night. Like he fell asleep, never woke up because he was poisoned. And, you know, this woman having Parkinson's didn't have a ton of energy. And so her husband did do a lot of the talking, but when they were telling the story of losing their son, her husband, he basically took the ball and ran with it. And she was sitting there and and I was like, I can't, you know, obviously the, the subject is terrible and I could assume her take on things, but I I had to actively single her out so that she would speak to it. And so, yeah, like in her, like, barely a wisp voice cracking was like, that was the hardest time in my life. And she's, you know, and I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm oh, like, right to the heart. Oh, I'm, I'm crying and, and like trying to make sure that, you know, I'm in focus and everything is recording and like sound is good. And like, I, I manage a lot of things in these shoots because it's just me and the storytellers. I don't have a crew, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to juggle. 
but I feel like that's the way that it has to be to create the intimacy so that people can open up that way on camera. That's the only way that I see of being able to capture things as pristinely as I do. But that was, that was probably like the hardest, that was the hardest hitting thing just with the context of, of her state and, you know, them talking about losing their son and just all of it, all of it. I mean, the, the woman was just a precious soul anyway. So yeah, I mean the, the empathy hit hard that time. I can imagine. Oh my goodness. I, 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 yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. As we head into the holiday season here, I'm wondering if you could give the audience a couple of tips words, questions, they are going to see their parent or grandparent, they only see them once a year. What's the first couple of questions that you feel like are the, for beginners, what, what would they be? So I'm going to throw you a curveball. So the, okay. it's, it's not going to be a question. Okay. What, what I would encourage people to do is to first be vulnerable themselves and to share whatever it is that's challenging them in their life station, bring that to the elders first and, and share that with them and then give that elder an opportunity to weigh in and offer some of their life experience or wisdom about what you're going through, right? Because that, that does a couple of different things. Number one, why is anybody going to open up instantaneously to you if you're not willing to do that first? And then also that communicates to them that you value them. And then also it humanizes them and contextualizes their life experience to today. Like whatever it is that they went through is still relevant today because it is right. Because they've been there. And so there's <laughs> maybe that is a perfect answer for me because for my legacy films, I don't go in with a set list of questions. It's an organic conversation and experience where I'm trying to encourage the storyteller to go down that thought train that's important to them, right? I want them to make it their own and I want them to talk about what what's in here and what's in here. And so if anybody does want to develop a deeper connection with an elder family member, I would first say you be vulnerable first. You open up to them first and ask them for, for help with something. If you don't necessarily need help with something, you could even share something funny or something great that's going on. Me and my wife just purchased a house. Okay, grandpa, how much did you pay for, for that house? Did the contractors do a good job on your house? You know, like in just making it real and, and asking about something specific that will trigger their brain to to that point in time is super empowering. Um, I think what would be would be interesting is that you start to realize that some things never change, right? They don't. They're, they're complicated, and it and it, and I think of it in the context of as a mother myself. I think of I'm going to become irrelevant soon. My daughters will know everything or they, if not, they already do, but it's when they, if they choose to become a mother, then suddenly you're a child again, because you know nothing. And I think like every mother that's watching their daughters grow up, think there's going to be a day where I'm going to be the most important person in the room. 
right? And that's my mom for me when I had my children. And it's like the highest relevant day of your lifetime, because <laughs> it's like, I know you know nothing about this and I shall be here and experience this with you. And, and there's other correlates, I think, for other life events. But but I, I, I can see that and just a reminder that there are things that are hard at any any decade, any century of life. And that, that we've always needed each other to get through those things. And this concept that that we don't, and we sort of are these self-made, independent, untethered from anybody else's life experience, that that that's not true for most of us, that there, there still is. So well, I'm wondering, I, I I know I've taken a lot of your time today to talk about this. I'm so happy that you're here. If people wanted to find you or get a hold of you, what would they do? Yeah, storykeeping.com is me. And also on social media, facebook.com backslash storykeeping, instagram.com backslash storykeeping, um, on LinkedIn, storykeeping. Basically, if you if you type in that URL and it involves storykeeping, you're probably going to land on my page. If, yeah, basically just, just hit me up or call 210-216-2727. If you're old school like me, you just want to, <laughs> if you actually want to talk to somebody, 210-216-2727. Awesome. Now, is that, is there, is there a uh, by minute charge for that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <right>. yeah. Actually, <laughs> when, when my friends call me, I answer, Hey, be hotline. And, yeah and I, I answer all their well that's what kicked this whole thing off is you know people call me and just talk about their problems for a long time and you know i i have a history of creating that space for people where they feel like they can do it and so why not turn it into a career yeah well i i it has just been really fun and inspiring watching you do what you do and you're aware and everybody's aware of my own entrepreneurial aspirations and to have you uh, as a friend and as a mentor in that area has been really great. So thank you so much for being here. I hope to speak with you again. I'm sure we have other topics we can deep dive. <laughs> so just, just thank you for being here. And I appreciate what you're doing for humanity. Okay. So you, you just, you just dumped on me out. I'm going to dump on you for one second. Okay. I love what you're doing because in today's society, we are so disconnected in so many different ways, right? And and what you're moving toward, it it does open more avenues for that transfer of wisdom and for people to actually feel valued. You're you're setting people up for the kind of conversations that I want for people to have. Cause, you know, after I do a legacy film and you know, it, it answers a lot of questions, there's still other questions. Hopefully, what what I do is open up that many more conversations. But what you're helping people to do is to facilitate so much more. And, and that's really what I hope for my clients. And so we really do complement each other in that way. And, and I saw that. I saw that early on. And so, yeah, similar spirits, I think, and different applications. So high five. Awesome. Well, high five to you as well. And I Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our, our talk here and I will definitely have you back. Oh my God. Thank you. Hey everyone. It's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. 
By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.